You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities and solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. It's one of these like well-known secrets, if you will. If you talk to anybody in the business that researches malware, we've all seen bots that you know communicate back to their command and control using encryption that's chester wisniewski he's a principal research scientist at sophos labs the research we're discussing today is titled nearly a quarter of malware now communicates using tls we've seen stolen certificates we've seen you know malware that's signed with certificates we've seen all this stuff but nobody had really quantified it and so we thought Mm -hmm. well we all anecdotally know it's a problem, but how big of a problem is it? And, you know, maybe we should take a look with, uh, you know, all the data we have in our labs. Well, the research that you published here starts off with a really nice overview of some of the basics here. I'd love to go through that together because I know there are a lot of people who might be a little fuzzy on some of this stuff. Can you take us through some of the backstory here when it comes to TLS and uh, sort of the foundational elements of that? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, of course, TLS, uh, we're, we're using the correct modern terminology, but I think a lot of people still think of TLS as being the good old SSL that uh, represented their padlock on uh, Netscape Navigator back in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Right. So the current terminology is TLS. SSL is now discontinued. 
And, uh, you know, it's public private key cryptography that's used to protect most of what we do via email and the web these days on the Internet. Um, actually, I think that might be an interesting side project to, to look at how much of the how much email is currently being transmitted using TLS uh, for the, you know, for the good stuff to be protected. But I think I think Google may have done some research on that. But, uh, mm. uh, you know, the, the idea here is, of course, to provide uh, encryption while in transit. Right. So this is different than the kind of encryption you might use to protect a file on disk or protect the. Uh, SSD in your laptop in case it gets stolen. Uh, this encryption is just while things are being transmitted from typically a web server to a client. And uh, we're just seeing that the criminals are starting to adopt this for their own transport to protect their communications. And I suppose there, there are two sides to this story. Uh, the good part is that this data is encrypted, but that can make things harder to examine as well. Yeah, ironically, if your information is being stolen by criminals, at least only one criminal will be able to see the information that they're stealing from you. Uh, unlike if they do it unencrypted and you're at a you know Wi-Fi at the Starbucks or something. But uh, obviously, uh, the challenge really for enterprises uh, or even home users for that matter is you need to build a man in the middle of that traffic in order to inspect it to find out whether it's uh, malicious or not. And I think most people in their minds connect privacy and security as being compatible or together. And this is one of those cases where they're actually incompatible, right? I have to actually break into that secure connection to look at the content to know whether it's safe for you to consume that content. Yet by doing so, in, in a way, I'm affecting your privacy. And, and at the enterprise level, there are tools available to do just that. Absolutely. Most modern firewalls have the ability to, you know, man in the middle of that traffic. In essence, the decrypt the uh, traffic before it goes out to the criminals, take a look at what's inside of it. And if it's okay, let it pass with a new encrypted connection to the criminal or to whatever, obviously, hopefully not the criminals. Maybe it's you uh, going to log into your Twitter or your Facebook or, or your bank. But I think one of the adoption challenges for enterprises has been to do that because you're going to get into this protected connection. You have to deploy certificates. Uh, you have to deploy a private certificate authority certificate to all of the computers that are behind that firewall and doing that in a large environment is quite a cumbersome activity. And the availability of, of those certificates, I mean, that's not a, a difficult thing to do these days. Yeah, you, you actually make a certificate on your own. You don't need to uh, actually purchase one. In fact, you can't purchase one. The, the companies like VeriSign are not allowed to issue one that everybody in the world would trust. So you actually make an untrusted one of your own, and then you tell all your computers to trust it. And it's telling all the computers to trust it that's the challenging part. Hmm. Now, one of the things that you track here in your publication is this shift that you've seen with more functions from the malware being orchestrated on the command and control server side. Can you give us some insights there? Yeah, the initial infection is often called a, you know, a downloader, or even uh, you can think of it as maybe a little bit of a stub meaning the malware that comes down to your computer doesn't even know what it's going to do until the criminals kind of know who's been infected, if you will. So the mm -hmm. idea is they might want to turn you into a DDoS bot. They might want to turn you into, they might want to ransom you. Maybe they want to use you to send some spam. They're not really sure until they determine who you are. Now, we don't really know why uh, necessarily criminals decide to use one malware one place or one malware in another. But I, I did some research uh, that I presented at RSA conference a couple years back that talked about this. And, you know, we had found that things like maybe you've got a banking Trojan that's targeting a German bank. Well, you probably don't want to install that on machines in Singapore. You probably only want to install mm. it on computers in Germany. So that's in essence what's happening is like you get infected with a little piece of code that just calls home and goes, what do I do? And then the malware controller 
decides, okay, I, I want you to load up this uh, banking trojan. I want you to load up this ransom code. And so is the notion here that the less traffic that's being sent back and forth, the more under the radar these actors can stay? Well, the less traffic that's out there, that certainly is the case. In this case, I don't think they're doing it for stealth reasons. I think they're doing it to maximize their profit. You know, the malware ecosystem has broken down into a lot of specialization over the last 15 years. And because of that specialization, there's people that specialize just in infecting people's computers initially and then seem to sell them on to other criminals to do criminal activity uh, that, that's more specialized and focused like bank, you know, banking malware and, and ransomware as examples. And many of your listeners may have heard of uh, Emetet, which has probably been the biggest ma- email malware threat we've seen in the last couple of years. And Emetet is one of those. You know, Once you get infected with Emetet, it might then install TrickBot or it might install Drydex. It's going to install something based on some other criminal paying them uh, for your head, and they may pay them based on your geographic location. They may pay them based on maybe you're on a Mac instead of a PC and they need to deploy different malware. Those types of things happen in these attacks so that the criminals can sort of maximize the profit per victim. Mm. Well, the research that you've published here, uh, you go through uh, some of the recent malware campaigns and, and sort of break down and track uh, who's using TLS here. Uh, share with us what you found. We took a handful of families uh, that we thought were representative because it's uh, obviously with the quantity of malware we deal with in the lab, uh, it's impossible for us to you know go through every sample and get an exact number. So we thought we would take a couple of these sample families and go through them and analyze them. So we took ones that are known info stealers and just other ones that are just common Trojans that we see. So we looked at Iced ID, we looked at Drydex, and we looked at TrickBot. And those are three you know, very common malware families that we're, we're seeing in the wild right now. And then we analyzed six months worth of their samples in our data set to see how frequently they were using TLS. Well, let's go through them one at a time together. Why don't we start with TrickBot? Right. So TrickBot, um, you know, most commonly right now, I think the way people are, are seeing it pop up on their computers is when it deploys a secondary payload again, like we were just talking about. So TrickBot mm-hmm. itself is an information stealer. And that, you know, is not necessarily limited to what it can steal. I mean, it can steal information from your browser or, you know, maybe looking to steal information from your browser that's related to banking. One of its other characteristics that we've seen is it also can deploy ransomware for other crooks. So it's sort of like taking two bites of the apple when it gets you as a victim. And so obviously what we were curious about is, uh, you know, does it use encryption? And of course, uh, it does occasionally use encryption. And what's kind of interesting about it, the criminals are quite smart. Rather than having to implement their own encryption, let's say, they actually use the built-in crypto API inside of Windows to do their encryption. So Mm. I guess that's sort of to ensure that they don't screw up the encryption. (laughs) So they're relying on on someone else's expertise of, uh, of cryptography there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, like I said, they're kind of part of this malware supply chain. With TrickBot, we often see the, the victim initially gets hit with Emetet, which is one of these ones that comes in via email that says, you know, you have an invoice or DHL has a package waiting or, you know, these types of messages. And then they, uh, TrickBot is probably paying the Emetet group to install their malware. And then after TrickBot's uh, on there, occasionally we'll see TrickBot then install some ransomware as well. Hmm. Well, let's take a look at Iced ID. What did you see here? Yeah, so the the Iced ID one, um, you know, they also, uh, none of them uh, always use TLS, but in this case, they uh, did use TLS. It was kind of interesting to us that uh, they were using the RC4 cipher. So 
RC4 is a very old cipher, and it's not terribly difficult uh, to break depending on how it's implemented. And that was uh, interesting to see. And it does have the ability to send stuff unencrypted. Some of the, you know, a lot of these seem to be able to do both encrypted and unencrypted information transmission. And that's not, you know, it's not clear what the purpose of that is in case maybe they're in some environments where they can't make an encrypted connection back, or it might just be a fallback mechanism. You know, we talked about certificates a minute ago. You know, there's been many a famous website to forget to renew a certificate. I think even I want to say Microsoft had an incident a couple months ago where they forgot to renew a certificate. So it's possible the criminals are like, well, maybe we what if we forget to renew our certificate for, you know, we don't want to stop getting stolen data. So, you know, maybe it's a fallback (laughs) mechanism. Uh, I'm not really sure why if you bother to go through the trouble of implementing uh, cryptographic APIs, why you would have unencrypted capability. But a lot of them seem to do uh, have both and, and only occasionally use the encryption. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And then the last one that you analyze here is, uh, I suppose, an oldie but a goodie, and that's Drydex. Yeah, Drydex is another one that uh, these days most often gets onto your computer through the Emitet botnet. Uh, it is old, as you say. I think, you know, we first saw Drydex back in, in 2011, and so mm-hmm. uh, it's gotten around a bit. And And that's another reason I think we see some of this variability where we go, hey, it looks like Drydex uses TLS, but... We also have Drydex samples that don't use TLS. And like Iced ID, it's also using the old RC4 encryption. The, you know, the variability in that, I think, is partly related to how old some of these malware families are, right? There's different people that have copied it and reused it. And, the, you know, maybe some of the old ones don't have this secure capability, while newer copies of, uh, of the malware do have the secure capability. And so that's why we only see, you know, um, a portion of the traffic using uh, encryption. What are you tracking in terms of trending here? Are we seeing more and more of uh, the use of TLS when it comes to these folks? Well, being that this is one of the few reports that have been out there, and it's the first report we've published from samples at Sophos Labs, which means we have nothing to compare it to. It's all anecdotal. Mm -hmm. Certainly, anecdotally, it seems like we're seeing increasing use especially amongst things that are stealing information. We know that a lot of companies are very carefully looking at data that's exfiltrated through their firewalls to try to remain compliant with regulations like GDPR. And now, of course, in the USA, we have CCPA. So that means companies have a better chance of noticing those credit cards being stolen or those passwords being stolen or, you know, that kind of thing. So it's possible the criminals are using this for information stealers sort of as the vanguard of the whole thing. And in our research, we saw that 44% of information stealers are using encryption. And that is, you know, a higher percentage than we see amongst the malware community as a whole, which is about 23%. So it's almost twice as likely that an information stealer is going to use encryption than a, than a regular good old fashioned bot. So that, that's probably indicative of the criminals trying to bypass corporate policies. So what sort of recommendations do you have for people out there to contend with this stuff? Well, I think, you know, for everyday users at home, there's uh, little that can be done other than, you know, to run good quality uh, endpoint protection on their on their computers that hopefully keeps track of a lot of these command and control servers uh, and can, uh, you know, block block access to them. I mean, some of them do some TLS interception as well. So uh, consumers would have to kind of uh, survey the market a bit for that. But on the enterprise side, I think it's clear that, we need to be inspecting uh, encrypted traffic traversing our firewalls. And if you haven't taken on that project yet, you need to take it on. You know, there's different products out there that work differently depending on what brand of uh, firewall or next generation UTM or firewall that you have on your network. 
but most of them have this capability. And if you're using one that doesn't, it's probably time to shop around because this is going to become increasingly important. That's Chester Wisniewski from Sophos Labs. The research is titled Nearly a Quarter of Malware Now Communicates Using TLS. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.